Good morning. Thank you all for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, My name is Clark Chilton, as I said, one of our associate pastors here. And for June and July, we're starting a new sermon series. It's called Lord of the Impossible. And uh, it's going through the Bible, uh, Old Testament and New, and telling the stories of how God can do the impossible. And it goes back to Jesus' words in Matthew uh, chapter 19, where he is explaining who can be saved And the disciples ask, because Jesus makes it sound like it's impossible for man to be saved. And the disciples ask, well, who can be saved? And Jesus says, well, with man, uh, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And we're going to see how God does the impossible time and time again. And one of the purposes of this series is to ask How can we make the two-dimensional promises we read here in the Bible, how can we make these two-dimensional promises a three-dimensional reality in our lives? And that God does miracles today. He still does. He's still Lord of the impossible. And in today's passage of Acts chapter 3, we're going to be seeing uh, an an account of Peter and John, disciples and apostles of Jesus, And Jesus has been ascended into heaven, and now the apostles are doing uh, incredible work of ministry around the world. And how they do the impossible. Well, really the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. And what it really should be called is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And the apostles do incredible miracles. The Holy Spirit, the power of God, does incredible miracles. And as I read this passage from Acts chapter 3, I want you to think about three words that summarize Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Three words. Look, listen, and embrace. Look, listen, and embrace. So starting in verse 1, Acts chapter 3. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. At three o'clock in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention. On them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping. And praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the, at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 4 to me is really the crux uh, of this passage. And it's that Peter and John looked at this man, and they said to him, Look at us. I think this is an important moment. In this, because Peter and John are walking by, they're going to prayer. They're continuing on with their Jewish practice of praying throughout the day at the temple, although they know enough following the Messiah. 
And they're going to pray, and this man says, is asking for a handout, and uh, Peter and John look at this man specifically, and say, and they pause as they're walking, and they say to him, look at us, look at us. There's a crossroads happening here at this moment. They're looking at this man. What are they thinking, Peter and John? What are they praying? What's going on in their mind? For one, Peter and John were open to the Spirit. As they looked at him and this man looked at them, they stopped and they paused and they looked and they were saying to the Lord, what, what do we do here? They were listening and then they obeyed and the healing comes after the pronouncement of Peter, not before. Peter was assured of this man's healing, not because of Peter or of John, but because the Spirit of God laid it on their hearts to do so. And it was, it was after the proclamation came the healing. And if you notice, it isn't until Peter grabs his hand and pulls him up that the healing takes place. There's an important principle here to the life of faith. That if you're going to trust God as Lord of the impossible to do a healing or a miracle or whatever it is, then just go for it. Just go for it. Life's too short. Do not doubt. If you pray for healing for a friend, then pray for healing and go for it. It, may, it might not go the way you planned, but God will still be God. And for me, when I, people ask me to pray for them, I always err, if you can err on the side of miracles, I always err on the side of trusting that God's going to do the impossible. We have to. We have to have that childlike faith, Jesus says, that he will and can do the impossible. With God, all things are possible And we can see the impossible in our day. So as I said, look, listen, embrace. Look for the impossible. When Peter and John gazed intently, the scripture says, upon this beggar, they didn't see an enemy. They didn't see an outcast. They saw a brother, someone worthy to be healed. When you and I look into the face of someone that we perceive to be an enemy or an outcast, or someone different than you are. Is it possible to see your brother instead? Is it possible to see your brother or your sister instead of someone that you're supposed to be opposed to? How do you look at someone and not see the color of their skin, not see their outward appearance, not see their socioeconomic status, and rather, how do you look upon the heart? That is the question of this passage. Peter and John look upon the heart of this man. And the spirit of Jesus lays it upon Peter of John to say, heal him. I will heal him if you will raise him up and lift him up. But when you and I gaze intently, when we look upon someone different than we are, what do we choose to see? In short, how do you see people the way God sees them? Do you believe that's possible? To see other people the way God sees them. Do you see someone different than you? Or do you see a man or a woman that Jesus Christ died for? How can these two-dimensional promises in the Bible become three-dimensional reality in our life? And the one, one way to do that is to stop looking at the external appearance of people. Anyone can do that. That's the flesh. It's easy to do that. You and I have judged people unfairly all the time. That's the world talking. 
But to see the heart of someone, to see the soul, the spirit, that takes a bit of faith. To see the unseen. We have to trust the spirit to lead us to see that. Even if it makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Sometimes the spirit will prompt you maybe while you're reading the Bible. If you're reading scripture and a word or a phrase jumps off the page into your mind. Pay attention to that because that's the spirit of God speaking to you. Uh, Usually a gentle nudge of the spirit. I think Peter and John, they're walking by. They got a nudge of the spirit to stop. And we have a choice in that moment to just keep on walking or to stop and be obedient. My family and I were coming back from the beach a few weeks ago. We're driving up Highway 421 coming out of Wilmington. And we was sort of around 10 o'clock and we were getting kind of hungry because we've been up early. And we thought, where can we eat that is not nutritious and is difficult for my body to process? So we said McDonald's, right? And McDonald's breakfast is awesome. I love McDonald's breakfast food. It's way better than the lunch options. So we said, let's turn into McDonald's. And as we're turning, there's a man standing there with a sign, as we've seen in many intersections across America, standing there with a sign asking for help, asking for alms, if you will. And my wife, being the saintly person that she is, was the gentle nudge of the spirit on my life that day when she said, let's get him something to eat. And I said, absolutely. So we got some Egg McMuffins, bottles of water, and handed it off. Because in that moment, not to praise us, but we chose to see the intrinsic value and worth of this man who, it turns out, had a, uh, a hole in his throat from, I guess, cancer or smoking or something. I mean, he, he could barely speak. But we, the life of faith, you can look at the unseen quality of a person and see that they are a child of God, worthy to be loved and respected for who they are because that's what God says about them, not what the world says about them. This is classically shown in 1 Samuel chapter 16, which says, The Lord does not see as mortals see. Think about that. God is calling us mortals because we are. At least here on earth, we're mortals. We can't die. The Lord does not see people as mortals do, it says. The mortals look on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks, look again, the Lord looks on the heart. The heart is the source and the seat and the foundation of who people are. The Lord looks at the heart. He sees the motives, the intentions, the thoughts of people. He sees the heart. So when Peter and John looked upon this man, a man who had been passed over his entire life, born from birth, paralyzed, and he was outside the temple every day, a man who was searching for someone to make eye contact with him, anyone who would help, and when they fixed their gaze on him, they listened to the Spirit and they saw the heart of this man. Because with God, all things are possible. And with God, you can see people the way he sees them. You can, if you're willing to do so. And in many ways, when we serve people in this way, as the book of Hebrews says, we can be serving angels unaware. Um, and, and, And the author of Hebrews says, Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some have entertained angels without even knowing it. That's a great story. I would like to hear what that looked like when someone this author knows that entertained an angel. Um, But we should show mutual love to everyone. 
whether you are helping an angel in disguise or not. It doesn't really matter. Because this is a great quote from C.S. Lewis. Because he said, next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Next to the sacrament, the body and blood of Christ, your neighbor is the holiest object you will encounter. We are encountering children of God every day. Maybe some are very wayward, but God still loves them. And the first step is to look, to look at the heart of who people are and not just the externals. So there's look, then listen. I came across this story a few years ago of a man named Daryl Davis. He's the keyboard player for Chuck Berry. And maybe you've heard his name. And he is, he's a great story of how he listened to his enemy. And through his example, he broke down a lot of barriers. One night in 1983, after a show, a white man approached Daryl to compliment him on his piano playing. Daryl is an African-American man. And as they had a discussion, Daryl and this other guy, uh, Daryl learned this, this man was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And through this man, Daryl became friends with a man named Roger Kelly. Roger Kelly was an imperial dragon in the KKK. Well, believe it or not, Daryl and Roger struck up a friendship. And and Kelly, long story short, eventually leaves the KKK. And when he quit the Klan, Kelly gave Daryl his robe and his hood. And to date, Daryl has collected 12 robes and hoods of other clansmen. And it's incredible. People have told him to burn them, but Daryl says, we don't burn our history. He said, I appeal to people's common sense. I listen to them. I don't seek to convert them. But if they spend time with me, they can't hate me. The KKK sees that I want the same thing for my family as they do for theirs. If you can work on the things you have in common, that's how you build friendships. Amazing, amazing. And Daryl is looking at the heart of these men as well. He's practicing what he's preaching. And he's seeing the heart of who people are. That underneath the surface, we are very much the same. If we will look through the eyes of faith with the Lord of the impossible. So there's look, listen, and embrace. So as I said earlier, when you're in those moments of your life, if you're a Christian listening to this and and, um, the Spirit may speak to you about, you know, stop and do this, speak to this person, help this person... And you're at a crossroads, right? You can, I'll be honest, as many times as I've helped people, I've also not. And said, oh, I'm too busy or I'll do it later. And then, of course, you feel bad later. But as that obedience starts, it starts to snowball. And it gets easier and easier the more you're obedient to embrace the moment, to stop being afraid, you know? As 1 John says, God's perfect love casts out all fear. And I think we need to, we need to claim that for ourselves to cast out fear and just go for it. Just love people and go for the miracle and and see what God will do. But far too often, the church, the big C church, instead of doing that, will, will create a culture that runs counter to the values of the broader culture. And we create divisions between church people and non. And you know what? It's not enough for Christians to form a culture that runs counter to the values of the broader culture. 
Christians should be radically committed to the good of their community as a whole, whether they're believers or not. We should partner with social service agencies and partner with schools and be a part of the whole community that embraces everyone as best we can with the love of God in our hearts. We must move to sacrificially serve the good of the whole community, especially the poor. Let's be reminded that Revelation 21 and 22 at the end of the Bible, the the, the earth does not explode in a giant fireball. What happens is that God comes and it's the city of God and heaven and earth come together and and God redeems all of creation. The redemption, it's not an escape from the material world. God's purpose eventually is that he says, I will renew everything. I am making all things new. God's purpose is not just saving certain individuals, but inaugurating a new world based on justice, peace, and love, not power, strife, and selfishness. So when we gaze on the other, when we look and we listen, we have a choice to embrace or not. And I came across this story many years ago that typifies this idea of embracing when we don't maybe really want to, but how the Lord meets us in those moments of faith with a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by a pastor, Jim Cimbala from from Brooklyn, New York. And he's run a massive, uh, powerful ministry up in that city for many decades. Uh, Tremendous prayer ministry. uh, I hope we begin to build up in our church more and more prayer ministry, especially but he tells this story. I don't usually like to read things off a page when I give a sermon, but this story is too good that I want to get it right. And he said, I will never forget Easter Sunday, 1992. A homeless man was standing in the back of the church at the close of our, one of our church services. And at the end of the evening meeting, he says, I sat down on the platform exhausted. I had been preaching and teaching and praying all day. And other people were praying with other people that had come forward to receive Christ. The organist was playing softly. And you know what? I just wanted to relax. And I was starting to unwind when I saw this man come somewhat down the aisle, shabby clothing, matted hair, and he was waiting for permission to approach me. And with a tired wave of my hand, I told him to come forward. And I thought to myself, look how Easter Sunday is going to end. He's going to hit me up for money in the middle of church on Easter. This happens so much in Brooklyn. I'm so tired of this. And when he came close, I saw that his front two teeth were missing. But more striking was his odor, he said. It was a mixture of alcohol and sweat and urine and garbage. And he said, it simply took my breath away. I had been around street people my whole ministry, but he said, this guy took the cake. He said, I I couldn't even breathe in by looking at him. I had to breathe in by turning my head. It was that bad. But I asked him his name and he said softly, David, how long have you been homeless, David? Six years. Where did you sleep last night? In an abandoned truck. I'd heard enough, and I wanted to get this over with quickly, so I pulled out my money clip, and he said, no, 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 I don't want your money. He said, you don't understand, I want that Jesus that that red-haired girl earlier was talking about. And I hesitated, and I closed my eyes. 
I felt soiled and cheap. Me, a minister of the gospel, I had simply wanted to get rid of him. And he was crying out for the help of Christ that I just preached about. I swallowed hard as God's love flooded my soul. And David sensed the change in me, and he came forward and buried his grimy head in my white shirt and tie. Holding him close, I talked to him about Jesus' love. These weren't just words now, I felt them. I felt love for this pitiful young man and the smell. He said, I don't know how to explain it. It almost made me sick a moment ago, but he said, now as I held him, it became the most beautiful fragrance I had ever smelled. What repulsed me a moment ago, he said, now I reveled in. The Lord seemed to say to me in this instant, Jim, if you and your wife have any value to me, if you have any purpose in my work, it has to do with this odor. This is the smell of the world that I died for. It's powerful. And no matter what your brother or sister looks like, Jesus died for them and he died for you. And Jesus has the greatest commandment, not commandments, commandment is love God and love your neighbor. They're two sides of the same coin. If if we claim to love God, we have to love our neighbor. If we love our neighbor, we have to love God. They're intrinsically connected because God is love. He said, this is the smell of a planet that is dying, that I died for. And if we are servants of Christ and he is the ultimate servant, It's hard right now in the world in which we live, this world that Jesus died for. In many ways, we seem to be in an impossible situation. And it's true. Left to our ability as men and women, our own ability as mortals, whatever that looks like, power, money, force, spin, propaganda, arguments, It's impossible under our own strength. We can't do it. We cannot fix the planet. We cannot conquer death and overcome divides and barriers that get us, that are dividing us. On man's ability, it's impossible. And and today, too many people are crying out for an earthly king to rush in and fix our problems. We are fixing our hopes on the broken systems of men. As C.S. Lewis said, you cannot make men good by law. And, what, but, and then he says here, you, but without good men and women, you can't have a good society. You see the conundrum here. If we can't make men and women good by law, then how do we have a good society? Fallen man and women is not simply an imperfect creature that needs improvement, he says. Men and women are rebels who must lay down their arms. Surrender. There is only one king and one Lord. And while our situation seems impossible on our end, on God's God's perspective, all things are possible. All things are possible. He is Lord of the impossible. The only way today we can love our neighbor as they deserve and see them the way God sees them is to be given new eyes, a new spirit, a new soul, if you will, to be reborn from the inside out, 
to be born again, as Jesus said, by the Holy Spirit. He will give us eyes to see that the beggar on the street or whoever the person is that you have a problem with, he'll give you eyes to see that as a person that he fought for and bleeds for and died for. The answer to our predicament is the same as it's been throughout history. Lay down your arms. Surrender. Romans 3.23. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. You could insert any names in there you want. Black, white, all the different things. You could put them in. There's no difference. For we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then you see here. But all are justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of the impossible in our lives. And what our strength? Impossible. But with him all things can be possible. For those who will believe and see and trust in his promises. Let's pray together. God in heaven, you indeed are Lord of the impossible. And we are at a situation now in our country, God, where we pray for your guidance. We pray for your leading. We pray for wisdom. We pray for understanding. We pray more than that, God, that you pour your holy love upon our hearts to see that we are no better than anyone else, that we are all sinners in need of grace. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Help us to remember that Jesus prayed in the garden the night before he was crucified, and he prayed, Father, let them be one. Just as I and I'm in you and you are in me, let them be one. The Son of God prayed that we would be one. Let it be so, God, again in this country. By the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, may we be one. As it will be in heaven one day, may it be so here on earth on this day, God. In the weeks and months to come, you will bring justice as a mighty stream. You will level the high places and raise up the low. And you will bring redemption and break every chain. May you take scales off of eyes. Show us the sin of the way that we have mistreated our neighbor and not love them the way that they deserve. God, we fall on our knees before you this morning. We are a people that have failed you. Help us love our neighbor, God, in, in spirit and in truth and grow, God, as disciples of you. Help us show your name, God, and your goodness. For you are Lord of the impossible. May we trust you more in the areas of our lives this morning. In your name we pray, amen. You've heard the uh, famous line from Martin Luther King Jr. Where he said, I have a dream that my children will not be judged on the color of their skin, but on the content of their character. He has a dream. You see what he's doing there? It's, a, it's, a, it's the tension of the external versus the internal. And that dream is still realized today. And it will be realized in the life to come. So we might as well get started now, amen. amen. So let us look and listen and embrace 
as you look and you listen, stop and pause. Be open to the Spirit and embrace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for watching. See you next week.